It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. In 2017, the U.S. Army began outlying plans for the Internet of Battlefield Things, allowing military to be connected on the battlefield the same way we are connected in our homes. Hello and welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. That includes not only common consumer items like smartphones, wearable devices, cameras, etc., but provides analytics to help predict and perceive the enemy's movement, for instance, or to give machines the autonomy to carry out a course of action based on the programmed intent. The $25 million Army Research Project leans on six institutions, including the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Tarek Abdelazar, a professor of computer science, is the academic lead of the Army Research Lab's Alliance for the Internet of Battlefield Things Research on Evolving Intelligent Goal-Driven Networks, or RAIN. And he joins us now to talk about its progress. Thank you once again for joining us on the program. Well, thank you very much for hosting me on this podcast. So this is a, uh, you're two years in of the first five of what could be a 10-year uh, project. Uh, That's right. Uh, talk about how you got involved and the other ins institutions that are involved in the program. So, so I think the, the main uh, vision uh, and, uh, and the main sort of reason we started uh, this project or, or we wrote the proposal to begin with is because um, there were a lot of um, interesting changes in, so in the defense landscape. Um, one, there was um, um, an interesting change in the technology that is going into the battlefield. There was an increased um, interest in um, reducing um, the use of humans and in increasing the use of various things, if you will, or, or machines that can replace uh, some of the uh, functions that, that, that a human would do. Um, there was also an interest in giving uh, these uh, things in the battlefield a little bit more uh, initiative, if you will. Uh, there is a term for that in the doctrine. It call, it's called command by intent. The idea is to allow local initiative uh, instead of being micromanaged. The third idea, I think, was the more pervasive use of AI, and uh, that spilled into the defense scene as well. And so putting those three things together, we thought there is an opportunity to build something interesting that leverages the AI, that empowers the local initiative, and that indeed saves lives by introducing machines where, where, where people would be. Uh, and that led to the idea of the Internet of Battlefield Things. So, I, you know, part of this is uh, just being more connected uh, from communications. And I know that you have a project on smart cities that, that has, it's very related. So just talk about, from a communication standpoint, how uh, military personnel can be uh, connected uh, better from that standpoint. So, so I think, uh, you know, another perhaps um, change uh, in recent doctrine has been something that the military calls multi-domain operation. And it's all about uh, being interconnected. So, so, so let me elaborate on that a little bit. In the past, uh, the way military operations were conducted, each service, if you will, each domain 
would do its job separately. So, th so the Army would do its job, uh, the, the Navy would do its job, Air Force would do its job, and, and they would operate somehow in isolation. Now, the thinking today is that this is inefficient, and they need to coordinate the, the air, the satellites, um, land forces, sea. They, they need to coordinate, they need to work together. And so that requires a higher degree of connectivity and um, a, a paradigm somehow for connecting all these to uh, work towards a common goal. Uh, and we think that something like IoT adjusted for defense applications can empower that because that's really what these networks are supposed to do. It's kind of ironic because uh, we're uh, recording this on the 18th uh, anniversary of 9-11, and uh, one of the things that came out of that was really the, the development of Homeland Security, and the thought was that they we're not talking to each other. All these entities are, are not talking to each other the way they should, and, and, and you're it make, taking that even a step further with uh, the other the branches of the service. Exactly. I think there is a lot of opportunity in interconnecting things because... Um, it could be that um, one particular land or, or sea asset sees an opportunity, but they don't really, they cannot act on it without the help of, let's say, Air Force or satellite. And uh, if those are uh, readily interconnected and can work together, then of course we can achieve a lot more efficiency and, uh, and higher deterrence. And what you're talking about uh, is what you're referring to as the, the, the multi-domain operation, so allowing air, land, sea to better be connected. I mean, it, it obviously, if, you're, if you have a land mission to, to have soldiers connected to one another, but taking this a step further, um, you know, talk a little bit about that. So, so what we call it uh, in, in our project is sort of the multi-domain effects loop. In some sense, in, in the industry, they, they call it something called the OODA loop, which is um, um, a, a, an acronym for um, observing your environment, sort of orienting your resources, um, deciding uh, on what to do uh, about your observations, and, and then actually acting. Uh, and I think in, in defense, we can borrow this analogy. You, you have a lot of um, sensors distributed across all these domains, land, sea, satellites, these sensors collectively can start detecting things that individually they might not have been able to detect because there are sometimes weak indicators of, of threats or, or anomalies that uh, an individual domain might see but not be able to act on or, or it might not even notice because the indicator is so weak. But you combine those uh, from multiple domains and suddenly you see a better picture. They call it the common operating picture. So we can help construct that picture and help empower the decision maker to essentially make better decisions based on that common operating picture. Um, and of course, then w they would take the appropriate action and create the effect. So it's called the multi-domain effects loop. And essentially, the project builds technologies um, and, and the underlying research ideas that would populate that loop. So I want to step back a little bit and talk a little bit about your background. Uh, other, uh, I think you've been, you've had some other projects with the Department of Defense. Uh, talk about the th what your specialties are and then how you've been able to integrate those into uh, these various projects. So I'm um, 
originally, let's say, an embedded systems person. Um, I think uh, the current name for that is cyber physical systems. So I uh, specialize in systems where some uh, computing technology is interacting with physical artifacts in the environment. And it's a, it's a very interesting domain because it means you, you cannot uh, look at the problems in the physical space or, or the computing space in isolation. You have to look at it holistically. And uh, more recently, I've uh, gotten interested in cyber physical systems that operate in social spaces, which means that not only do you have to understand the interaction between the physical and the computational environment, but you also need to understand the social environment. So in, in civilian uh, applications, an example would be smart transportation. You need to understand the physical part of it. You need to understand the human part of it because the humans are the drivers, they are the people who use the transportation. And of course, you need to understand the computational or algorithmic part if you're gonna optimize it and make it smart. Okay, so um, we've seen, I think, uh, drones, for instance, or robots that go in and detect uh, bombs or detect, uh, rather than send uh, uh, some manned operation in, to send those in first to detect is the enemy there. Um, how are we taking that a step further? I think there is a lot of interest in general in, um, in automating um, various functions. And um, uh, definitely, Drones are one of the things that come to mind first because they're so popular and, and, and pervasive, but um, there are other functions that uh, need to be automated. Um, w sensing is one of them, just pure sensing. Uh, the, the problem there is that um, the way it's done today is um, a lot of the time the individual sensors look at individual aspects of, of, of sort of a big picture, and so they, they see part of the picture, they can't reconstruct the whole picture. And the reason is these sensors are distributed and they belong to different, let's say, forces or they belong to different domains or commanders. And um, uh, just putting, that, just automating the fusion of these multi-sensor, multi-domain systems already gives you a huge advantage. Now definitely, um, once you've put uh, a, an, an operating picture together, you'll be able to um, uh, give a commander uh, better ideas on what their options are. So another function is this idea of generating, uh, let's say, courses of action, viable courses of action for a commander to choose from. And um, they need to be substantiated so that the commander is acting on, on real, accurate uh, information, which is, um, in, in the fog of war, um, difficult. Um, then the commander ultimately makes a choice and, and, and we have to execute that choice the most efficient way we can. So I think um, in that process, we will use sensing technologies, we will use various actuation technologies or effects, we will use uh, AI uh, in particular, and, uh, and of course we will use both static and mobile assets like drones. So I think the real uh, word that you mentioned is systems because a lot of these technologies are readily available, but getting them to talk to each other and to make sense uh, of all this information and then giving, as you said, a commander uh, the best choice uh, given all these uh, circumstances. 
Absolutely. The, the picture that comes to mind, and, and I may have mentioned this in other contexts before, is um, if you've seen the Transformer movie, uh, the picture that comes to mind is, is like building one of these transformers, um, except it's distributed. It's made of 10,000 pieces distributed all over the battlefield, uh, but they have to take shape. They have to work together as a single entity, which is really where we come in, and they have to perform a common mission, and they have to do it efficiently and robustly because other um, entities are shooting at it, and so it's... Um, uh, it's a fairly harsh environment, so it's not just about coordinating the 10,000 pieces, it's also about robust performance, so that in a very adversarial, harsh environment, you can prevail and you can um, essentially get the job done. Well, you mentioned uh, AI. Um, talk about integrating AI into this process. Um, certainly that is new uh, when it comes to, to defense and uh, you know, just to expand on that a little bit. Absolutely. So I think AI is one of the big differentiators um, that's going to play an important role in defense um, industry in general. In fact, um, uh, sometimes they call it the third offset. So, so let me perhaps uh, explain that a little bit. You know, the, the, uh, the U.S., so this is, you know, f uh, funded by the U.S. Uh, Army Research Labs, the U.S., has always looked for ways to maintain a competitive edge in defense. And um, it started uh, maybe um, you know, in recent history after World War II, where uh, they realized that, well, some of the competitors, like let's say Russia, is much closer to Europe than the United States is. So they wanted to offset that, and they thought of that as the first offset strategy. It happened to be the nuclear defense systems. Um, well, after that, um, others caught up, and so they needed a new offset. The second offset strategy was precision weapons. Um, again, everybody caught up, and um, it is probably widely acknowledged that the third offset strategy that would give the U.S. an edge over its competitors is really AI. It's, um, it's highly developed um, and there is a lot of interest. We've seen some recent government initiatives, for example, that invest heavily in AI, um, and it spans all sectors, including defense. So this is going to be um, really a technology of the future, and of course, one of the challenges is to make that technology safe, um, and yet make it a strong deterrent uh, that gives us an edge. Obviously, there's a lot of proprietary information there, but can you give us an example of the way that you see uh, some areas that AI could be integrated into defense strategy? Uh, absolutely. So, uh, in general, AI can make decisions faster than a human. One of the um, big challenges is how to scale those decisions. So, for example, a human operator can observe a limited number of video feeds and make a decision based on those. But what if you have thousands of moving parts evolving rapidly, then uh, you either need an army of people just to watch them, or maybe you should use AI. And so as the number of sensing devices um, in a future operation increases, it basically scales beyond what human cognitive capacity can keep up with. And we need AI systems, we need some kind of machine learning systems 
to really auto automate part of that process. Now, the key here is to do it safely. And let me give you an example of that. So we as humans um, are not perfect. And, and for example, the, the idea of camouflage, you know, you're wearing camouflage, means you know, we can be fooled, visually at least, to, to not realize that you know, there's something hiding in the woods because, well, it's camouflaged. Um, well, guess what? AI has um, a similar problem. Um, uh, you, you can camouflage an asset and, and, and the AI is, is, is not gonna recognize it for what it is. There was uh, an interesting article recently that put um, an, uh, a patch like graffiti on a stop sign and the AI that was looking at the stop sign interpreted the stop sign as a speed limit. Now imagine what that can do to an autonomous car. So of course, it's troubling and one of the challenges of our project is to make sure that we have resilient AI that works correctly in adversarial conditions. The field is called adversarial machine learning, so that you do not fool the semi-automated, if you will, defense system uh, into doing something we don't want it to do. So as we mentioned, uh, the program uh, initiated in 2017 and uh, with technology continuing to evolve. I'm sure the project has, has maybe uh, shifted a little bit. Uh, talk a little bit about the, the way things have changed over the last couple of years. Sure, so I think one of the interesting changes has been in the increased use of AI systems and AI technologies, and especially adversarial AI. We anticipated from the beginning that this will be um, a, a big thrust, but um, I think the importance of that um, uh, was uh, underestimated at the time. Um, the other uh, development that happened is the vision um, that all services, all domains um, are um, going to work together. We anticipated again that that should be the case, but at the time uh, that we started, this wasn't highly um, advertised, if you will. Um, later, a, a new command was developed. It's called the Army Futures Command. The Army Futures Command then developed a vision, sort of concepts, for how future multi-domain operation is gonna be conducted. And these concepts led to um, uh, interesting sort of examples and visions for integration between these multiple domains that our project could then sort of morph to, to empower. Uh, so I think um, some of these developments with the creation of the Army Futures Command, with the um, uh, development of uh, future concepts um, of multi-domain operation really led the vision for IOBT. Um, and uh, it, it was nice to see that um, the original project was not far off the mark, but definitely with the emergence of MDO, uh, it seemed uh, right central to the future vision of defense. And obviously there's a lot of research involved. Talk about um, putting research into to testing. You know, how quickly can you take an, a concept and actually test it? So, so I think testing is kind of an interesting challenge. Uh, we do have a, um, 
uh, test bed uh, that uh, spans across the institutions. Uh, the idea would be that um, uh, technologies that we build uh, need to be um, um, vetted um, uh, in, in, in some uh, reasonable uh, simulation, emulation, or, or, or even physical environment. So um, uh, to do that, we need uh, to put some resources together, uh, and, and that is the goal of the testbed. It has simulation tools. It has um, various types of emulation emulators. Um, and it also has um, kind of a, for, for different parts of the problem, it has you know, physical uh, kind of testing environments. And so, for example, we can really uh, test how um, a machine learning algorithm operates in an actual physical environment. Uh, we can test how uh, gullible it is, if you will, or, or how easily fooled uh, or not, how robust. Um, and, um, and then we can integrate that with, with, uh, with decision making or scale it across different modalities and, and sensor types. Um, we're also uh, looking for um, outdoor environments in which we can uh, test some of these uh, concepts. Uh, the Army, for example, owns some um, land in, in um, um, you know, actually distributed in different places, and we um, would have access to that. So um, uh, that would enable us to test some of these techniques in uh, in quite realistic environments um, um, outdoors. So, how often do you do you meet as a group, um, and you know, what types of folks from the uh, from the army, for instance, do you meet with, and and uh, they obviously give you feedback uh, along the way. So meetings, I think, are very important for this project. I think really what distinguishes uh, this type of effort from, let's say, ten smaller projects working in parallel, is that we need uh, a high degree of cooperation and and, and collaboration, um, and at it's, it's like community building. Uh, so I was on one of these projects before, um, and really the main um, impact that I felt we had in the other project is to build a community of people who are sort of united behind a research problem that is very multidisciplinary and who have learned to work together uh, collaboratively to solve that multidisciplinary problem. And I think uh, in this project, we're trying to recreate that dynamic. We uh, meet several times a year in person, um, and we present our progress, and, and we brainstorm, you know, what did we do right, um, what is next on the list, and, and how to do that together. And I think that idea of sort of coming together around a multidisciplinary problem that truly needs all pieces of expertise from all the PIs to get solved, that really is what makes these alliances tick, if you will. Um, so I'm very excited about the collaboration opportunities that we have, and we'll just continue meeting together until we try to solve them. Well, much the same way uh, the space program, we've seen a lot of technologies that was built for the space program. We've seen integrate into just everyday life. Do you see some technologies that maybe exist for this project that uh, we might see in the future? I think there, there are you know several um, technologies that would be um, uh, that, that that are coming out. Um, there, there's a lot of um, 
deep learning, for example, results um, that um, uh, are, are getting mature. There is um, uh, a lot of interest in um, machine learning in adversarial environments. So imagine that you have a need for um, learning and inferencing that is sort of beyond the capabilities of individual devices because you need a lot of compute power, because you need to ship uh, observations around in a network that is contested by, by an adversary. Uh, so, so you need to be able to collect relevant information and you need to be able to apply a lot of compute power to that body of sensing data that you collected to make the right inference. But you also need to do that in a very harsh environment because your individual nodes, sensors, compute nodes can go down. Your links, the communication between them can go down. Um, adversaries are constantly trying to infiltrate your system. How do you prevail in that environment? How do you ensure that what you learned is actually correct and it's not some kind of adversarial attack on your learning system? And how do you ensure that uh, the inference you made is correct? It's not tainted by some kind of bad data or camouflaged uh, target. Um, uh, you know, what guarantees can you make and how do you do that quickly so that you can make decision on time in, in a critical situation? So I think we've done a lot of progress on solving that uh, problem of, of uh, porting AI, if you will, to this very adversarial environment. So I usually end uh, the programs by saying, what's next? So uh, what do you see coming down the, the horizon that's going to really impact uh, the next couple of years in this project? What I would really like to do is to be able to uh, build a set of services. If you think of IoT in uh, civilian applications, we built a lot of very interesting services for home automation, you know, smart uh, wearables, and so on. I would like to similarly um, build interesting services that empower parts of the MDO effects loop, from collecting data in a robust way uh, to understand from very weak indicators what is really going on behind the scenes, see anomalies that are otherwise hard to see, um, analyze them to understand what um, uh, uh, an adversary might be doing uh, or what attack might, might, be, might be imminent, um, generate options for a decision maker to choose from that are viable, uh, that are low cost from our perspective, that are safe, um, and um, allow this large scale coordination and cooperation between very disparate, very heterogeneous, uh, large numbers of devices, sensors, and actuators um, to achieve uh, a mission that is specified by the commander. So I think services that empower that vision is really what's coming uh, throughout this project. And um, we started more from a sensing perspective and, and a machine learning perspective, but there's a lot more to be done.
Well, as I mentioned, we're recording this on September 11th, so I think this time of the year, uh, our safety and, and particularly our military is a little bit more uh, top of mind, and we certainly thank you for uh, providing uh, this technology much needed to help keep everybody safe. Well, thank you very much for hosting me again, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll just keep working on it. Direct, uh, Tarek Abdelazar has been our guest, uh, professor of computer science at the University of Illinois. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mike Kuhn. This has been another edition of Illinois Innovators. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois.